Psalm 34 Of David, when he changed his behavior before Abimelech, so that he drove him out, and he went away. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many days, that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and his ears toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil, to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones, not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. Well, last week we considered our response to God's goodness by walking in good works and demonstrating love to others. Today, we respond to God's goodness by allowing His grace to fill our mouths with praise. Some sermons are preached as commands. This is what the Lord expects of us. My wife doesn't like it when I yell. So, some sermons are preached as an encouragement. This is how we will benefit from compliance with the teaching. But today's subject is difficult either to command or to exhort. It's best communicated by example. And in the heart of this psalm that was just read for us, I see three testimonies of personal decisions to bless the Lord. I see the first example for us to consider in verse 4, where we read that, I will bless the Lord in fear. There are times when we are genuinely filled with or encounter fear. 
But the psalmist says, he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. We have to have fears in order to be delivered from fears. And so there's something very authentic, something very genuine at, it, at admitting when we are afraid. And when we are afraid, to choose to bless the Lord in the midst of our fear. Fear has played a significant role in our society in recent years. And I don't think this started with current or previous presidents. Ever since the Pentagon and World Trade Center attacks, we have lived with the reality that invaders and enemies from within and from without are a threat to the secure way of life that we have come to believe is normal. And this fear has multiplied as schools, theaters, and shopping malls have been scenes of mass casualties. And yes, even churches. And so how do we bless the Lord in our fear? Once we admit our fear, some decide to confront their fear by strengthening themselves. The abundance of self-help books is just one of the largest sections of any bookstore, either a traditional brick-and-mortar store or an online store. Self-help, make yourself better, is the way out of your fear. Rather than self-help, some are, in our environment, have been boosting their natural immunity or developing a vaccine immunity as a way to make myself stronger against that enemy. The virus is here to stay, and it's up to each of us to individually fight it in our own bodies so that we don't spread it to others, is the thought of those who simply want to strengthen self. I know many of my good friends have come to the conclusion that law enforcement cannot be everywhere and we cannot trust evil people to restrain themselves, so they arm themselves with various protective devices, whether chemical or blade or firearm. When some of us encounter fear, we respond by strengthening ourselves. But a second response is that some confront their fear by depending upon others. Some depend upon government. If we have a fear that others will not do what is equitable or what is the ecological right thing to do, then we must depend upon the government to force them to do what is in my best interest. And to those, it becomes reasonable to surrender liberty if it contributes to my comfort or to my goals. But government is not the only place that people turn when they are filled with fear. Sometimes we turn to one another, to social alliances, to give us courage to face our fears. Whether it is a gang in a neighborhood an Antifa organization, a labor union to which we may belong, 
a demonstration that we choose to participate in, a calling campaign where we say, my voice isn't enough, but if I can get others to speak the same thing, our united voice can bring about change. Some of us confront our fear by simply depending upon others to join with us as we speak with one voice. Now, this map may be difficult for you to see, so let me explain what you're looking at. On the left side of that map is a blue triangle, a blue rectangle, which is the campus of the Moody Bible Institute where I attended college and graduate school. Towards the center of this picture is a yellow square. That yellow square is, and this is a Google map from yesterday, so this is exactly what Chicago looks like. That yellow square is Washington Square Park. And in Washington Square Park, you can see the plaque that is in that green square. Located one block east of my college is a site that is known not only as Washington Square, but as Bug House Square. From chicagohistory.org, Bug House Square is from the slang that refers to a mental facility as the Bug House. And Bug House Square was a place where anybody can stand on the podium in the middle of the square and just talk about what bugs them. It's a popular name of Washington Square Park where orators or soapboxers held forth on warm weather evenings all the way from the 1910s through the mid-1960s. Bug House Square was, quote, the most celebrated outdoor free speech center in the nation and a, po- and a popular Chicago tourist attraction. The point is, the Bug House Square is a place where one person can try to elicit others to join them in their rant, in their complaint, in their ideas. The point is, is that one person with a unique idea may be disregarded as mentally deficient, as deserving of the bug house. But if she can convince others to join her, she now has a squad, a caucus, or a movement. Because some people confront their fears by depending upon others to build a coalition. But the response I see in Psalm 34 is that when we seek the Lord, it delivers us from fear. When we seek the Lord, we are delivered from our fear because Psalm chapter 20, verse 7 says, Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. We don't need to trust in government. We don't need to trust in making ourselves stronger. We don't need to trust in a coalition. When we trust in the name of the Lord our God, we have reason to praise and to bless God. Because not only do we read this from the psalmist, from the life of David, but many years after this, I see that in Isaiah, Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the voice of his servants? But let him who walks in darkness, let him who has fears, the one who has no light, let him trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. 
When we rely on God, when we bless God, it delivers us from our fear. And it gives us reason to praise. So I will bless the Lord in my fears. Secondly, I will bless the Lord in my poverty. Poverty? Who's poor? I'm poor. See, we, we read this here in verses 5 and 6, and we, we seem to think that it's talking about some unknown generic situation. There was this poor man who called out to the Lord. But in the Hebrew language, the word this is a near as opposed to a far pronoun. In other words, it's not saying there was a rhetorical poor man. It is saying this man was poor and called out to the Lord. And poor is much more than just having no money. Benjamin Davis writes, The concept of poverty includes physical, economic, societal, and spiritual deprivation. Poverty is a state where one lacks what is needed for life and its physical, relational, and spiritual flourishing. These words are used to designate someone who is dependent upon the generosity of others and is often subject to exploitation by the rich and by the wicked. Who's poor? He says, this poor man called out to the Lord. And your poverty may be somewhere on a scale. Because there is a, I can't afford hot dogs for my mac and cheese lack. And there is a, I haven't eaten for days, poverty. In the spiritual realm, there is a, if God considers all of my good and all of my bad, I still come up short, deficiency, And there is a, no matter what I do, I still deserve God's wrath. Spiritual poverty. And David says, this poor man, this one with all of my lack, with all of my deficiency, with all of my dependency upon the generosity of others, This one called out to the Lord. And when we admit our lack, and when we call upon him, he hears. And and we had a lot of discussion as young parents, and if you want to stay out in the fellowship hall, that would be fine. You don't need to come here and, and watch as I tell this story. We had a lot of discussion as young parents upon how sound I would sleep. Now, Most honestly, in most circumstances, I never heard the cries of our babies in the night. But there were one or two times when I heard the crying and rolled over as if I had not heard it. The scripture says, when I cried out to the Lord, he heard me. It's not a roll over and pretend like I didn't hear. Because the word here that the psalmist uses here is the word Shema. Now, Shema may not sound familiar unless you have been in church 
where we talked about Deuteronomy chapter 6. And in the Hebrew religion, they have what is called the great Shema. Deuteronomy chapter 6 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one God. And that word here is the word Shema, which is the word that David uses here. When the Lord heard my crying, it's not a hear and roll over, it is a hear, engage my mind, and then act accordingly. Deuteronomy 6 says, Hear, O Israel, that means hear the words, think about what it means, and do the right thing. And it's that sense of hearing is what God does when we cry out to Him. When we admit our lack, when we admit our deficiency, He hears it, He considers it, and He acts in our good interest. Which is why we can believe 2 Corinthians 9 where it says that God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times you may abound in every good work. When we are deficient and admit that deficiency, He hears and He acts. Because Paul also made the promise in Philippians 4, even as he was bound in a prison... He was able to say, my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in Christ Jesus. But in times of fear, we can trust. In times of lack, he will supply. And the psalmist in front of us continues with a third, a third circumstance. He says, I will bless the Lord in troubles. And we can look later at verse 15 and verse 17, and it revisits the idea that God responds to our despair. That we can bless the Lord even though we are currently in the midst of troubles. And the reason we can bless the Lord in the midst of our troubles is because Yahweh saves and Yahweh delivers. Look with me in verse 6. The word David uses that the Lord saves from my distress is the word Yoshi. And the two guys in the back probably say, I know Yoshi. Yoshi is the green di dinosaur in Super Mario World. But Yoshi is more than a make-believe green dinosaur. Yoshi is the verb that underlies the name Joshua or Yeshua or Jesus. This word underlies he saves. 300 years after David died, Isaiah chapter 33 says, The Lord is our king, he will save you. 700 years after Isaiah, the angel told Joseph in Matthew chapter 1, She will bear a son and you will call his name Jesus. Why? For he will save his people from their sins. And 55 to 60 years later, Paul wrote to the Romans, and it's just as true today, for everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be... Yeshua saves. In the midst of our troubles, God saves and God delivers. The word deliver seems rather domesticated, but it carries the idea of not just to 
deliver, but to snatch away or to pull out or to extricate. Does the name Jessica McClure ring a bell? 34 years ago, the eyes of the nation were focused on a well in Midland, Texas, where 18-month-old baby Jesse had fallen into a well. And the next 56 hours, rescue workers um, labored to successfully free her from the 8-inch casing that was approximately 22 feet below grade. We watched as the rescuers extricated baby Jesse from the well. And it's that idea of extrication is what God does for us. When we are in troubles, he descends below grade, he lovingly gets a hold of us, and he extricates us from our troubles. Which gives us reason to praise. God does for us what we cannot do for ourselves. He saves and he delivers. Jessie could not deliver herself from that well. She needed someone else to reach down and to extricate her from her troubles. And we need God to reach down from the glory of heaven to extricate us from our troubles. He does for us what we cannot do for ourselves. For when was the last time that you felt helpless? I had no idea when I scheduled this sermon what God was going to do this week. Many of you are aware that our son lives in Milwaukee. He's about three hours away from the closest family. And last Wednesday evening, he sent me a text that was a little unusual. He asked if anyone in our family had a history of colitis. And I said, no, but... I didn't give it much thought because I know he has some lactose sensitivity, so I just figured he was experiencing some minor distress. The next morning, he texted me again. He went to emergent care. They saw something on x-ray and sent him to the emergency room. The emergency room did a CT scan and decided to admit him for something that was happening in his gut. He said three different surgeons watched his CT for 20 minutes trying to figure out what was happening. All I could say is I, sh- I assured him that we were praying for him and I notified my family to pray as well. All we could do from a distance was to call out to the Lord amidst Michael's distress. Four and a half hours later, 3.30 in the afternoon, he texted again. And the quote is, Doctor said, miraculously, it seems to have resolved itself. And Friday morning, he was discharged after keeping his breakfast down. My reply to him is, miraculously, is not outside the realm of possibility, for we have been praying to God to deliver from your distress. See, that's my personal word of testimony. 
Little did I know when I scheduled a symphony of praise that I would have a scientifically verifiable event in my immediate family that physicians would describe as miraculous. But I do have confidence that in a church our size, several of you would have current testimonies of praise that you would like to share. Now, when I flip to the next slide, the YouTube feed goes away. When I come down and push that button, the Facebook feed goes away. So it's just us in this place. And I am going to provide you opportunity to testify of times where you have called out to the Lord. So I 